Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 195 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you, Alice Toy, on consent violations, and personal responsibility. Here's your host, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody. Welcome to fall. I'm still recovering from this shoulder injury in the summer. You know, that may be hanging around for a while. I think so. Went to PT, hour and a half of PT. Uh, wow. <laughs> I thought I was a sadist. Yeah, unfortunately, you're on the masochist end of that one. Yeah, and it was a guy, and he wasn't even cute. Well, that's no fun at all. No, no. If somebody's going to hurt me, I want to be cute and, and preferably female, but I am, I am versatile. But we digress. We do. Woody. Yeah. We have somebody from the Great South with us from Texas. The beautiful city of Houston, now that it is back functioning again. Yes, well, they've been on the, on the mend, and they got a long ways to go, I'm sure. We have Alice Toy. Hi, Alice. Hi there. How are y'all tonight? We're good. Welcome to the cast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Alice, you arrived in the community about the same time I did, back in the mid-90s. Uh, mine was in the late 90s, September of 99, and oh. I actually looked back at my calendar, and tomorrow will be 18 years to the day to my first uh, kinky event. There you go. Well, so happy anniversary. Yeah. Well, thank you. So now, as you think about 18 years ago, how has it changed in your view? Oh, gosh. Um, that's such a broad question. Yes, it is. In terms of the Houston scene specifically, which is, of course, where I've spent my, my 18 years, it's a lot bigger, a lot more diverse. Um, when I came into the Houston scene, there was really uh, Houston Pep was the, the organization, the head organization that had gotten started. Um, there was a young organization that was just getting started, the Erotic Rose Society, Eros. And um, that was really it for formal organizations. And now we have more groups than, than I can think to name. So just the size alone and the diversity, uh, I think, is probably the biggest change that stands out in my mind. How did the kink community uh, do coming through the uh, hurricane? We had some people get completely lose everything, but thankfully those were very, very few. Um I know the people in my network, we were in touch with each other uh, every day. There was a lot of, can people help with this? Can people help with that? So a lot of people reaching out and helping each other. I know a few people who had maybe six to eight inches of water in their house. And, and again, the one couple who got wiped out completely. But for the most part, the community came through unscathed. Our one public dungeon did not get any water or any water damage. That's the um, 
the Houston Erotic Arts Troupe were heat, so they were back in business that next weekend. Though we did have to work around the Houston curfew in order to have our first party. But, <laughs> but that's really good that your play space stayed intact. Yes, yes, we were we were delighted, and Houston is really a house party city. It, it truly always has been. And so the people who host on a regular basis, their homes stayed intact, and, and so we didn't lose any equipment or any of our party spaces. So we got really, really lucky. So this is one time that water sports just was not on the menu. No, wrong kind of water sports. <laughs> what brought you into the community 18 years ago? It was something that I always had in my head it was you know since puberty basically and uh back in those days it was pre-internet the scene was really underground finding it was not easy if you were in a city where you got one of those sort of back alley newspapers you might find an ad somewhere but i grew up in the midwest and just wasn't something i could find and when I finally found the internet, oh, back in the days of Netscape, um, and figured out that other people, I was in an abnormal psychology class, and we were talking about um, sexual deviations, and I figured out, hey, not only is that what I am, but if they named it, there are other people doing it. And if I have the internet, I can find it. So I looked for the nearest big city on Netscape and typed in BDSM, and Houston was the nearest big city, and that's how I found the scene. Wow, isn't it amazing that there are other people like you? Wow. Yes, it was, and it was it was stunning to to just be able to find that. Um, of course, dating vanilla, there's there's no possibility in trying to get people to like, oh, come on, really, it won't hurt me that much. I'll tell you. Yeah, they don't buy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a kinky person dating vanilla is probably one of the harder things to do. Well, and especially from the bottom side where you're trying to lure somebody into doing something they've been taught their whole life. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, I don't know. The tops had a pretty hard time, too. We were walking on eggshells as we tried to convert our our vanilla partners into kink. You know, uh we didn't want to end up in handcuffs or or prison straps. Precisely. I've had some pretty vanilla dates that I brought along pretty far. Uh, you were more fortunate than I was. Uh, slowly. I just don't have that patience. Oh poor baby. You are a college student at this point. And you're headed for your first play party. Actually, I was out of college at that point. Oh. I had just finished my uh, doctoral work. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. So you're a doctor and yeah. you're headed for your first play party. You are going as, as both an observer and a participant. I Correct. Take it, because uh, with this formal education background, you had to be cataloging and analyzing this whole experience actually it was interesting because the person who i met in the scene ran his own kink website and so we exchanged emails and he invited me to come to an event and he had to convince people that i wasn't there to study them like lab rats <laughs> yeah you had to keep that part of you carefully in check because I know that you were going over it in your mind about all of these people and, and their interests and your interests. So what was it like? What was it like? Yeah. 
What was that first party like? It was like a, a circus come to life, I guess, <laughs> is the best way I could describe it. The group that I came into was a really renegade offshoot of the Houston scene. And the people who were there were experienced players. They were heavy players. So at my very first party, let me give you an example. My very first party, the first scene that I watched, a woman had her labia sewn shut, inner labia, outer labia. Ooh. Then they laid her on the floor and her partner fucked her open. Ooh. Okay, now that's a heavy scene for a first watch. That was my first scene that I watched. Wow. And it was a fairly small, intimate group that was about 30 of us there. The second scene that I watched, the top um, was going to do needle play on his bottom's breasts. And so to sterilize the area, he pulled out a bottle of bourbon, took a swig, and spit it all over her breasts. Yeah, sure, so that, that would work. That was alcohol yeah. treatment, right? <laughs> so then he puts in the needles and proceeds to then flick them out with a whip. And I looked at this and with wide-eyed wonderment and said... This is where I belong. This is awesome. <laughs> you are a sick woman. Oh. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you. Look up masochist in the dictionary. There's a picture of her. You know, the interesting thing is, though, I am a masochist, but I have a really tiny little pain tolerance. Well, nobody said a masochist had to have a high pain tolerance. They just enjoy pain. Well, some people say that, and I think I am proof that, in fact, that's not correct. <laughs> So you don't enjoy pain? I do enjoy pain, but no, some people say that if you're a masochist, you must have this high pain tolerance, no, and that's, not, that's no. not right. I find that defeats the purpose of being a masochist. It makes makes us say it's work too hard. Well, precisely. Yeah, you get big bang for your buck when you play a masochist with a low pain tolerance. Yeah. I actually know more of them that way than pain sluts. Yeah, well, I, 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 I do know a few... If you to just soak it up and keep on coming back. Oh, I, I know you do. I've seen it. This was an intimate party. Were there warning signs about what you were going to see? Heavens no, absolutely not. Uh, and in fact, the host, there was, there was no warnings. There were no DMs. There was n none of that. Uh, and it was really, really obvious. The scenes were played one after the other. It was quite obvious that part of the intent of the scene was the creativity and sort of the performance aspect of it. There were no warnings of any kind. If you were concerned, you could certainly talk to the host. Um, but chances are what he would do is say, I'm sorry that disturbed you. Let me walk you out the door. So there was a great big portion of personal responsibility here. Absolutely. I have found that in the years since then, that personal responsibility has slipped a lot. That we're expecting other, the organization and the community and everybody else to be responsible for, for our comfort and well-being. That may just be my perspective. Dare I say you'd be triggered. Yeah, <laughs> triggers. Gosh, I'd never even heard of triggers until years later when I logged onto FetLife. That was the first time I really heard that term of being triggered. Um, I don't know. I, I do think there's, as I said, with more diversity and more groups, um, there's certainly more leadership available. There are more educational opportunities available. 
has that led to a decrease in personal responsibility? I don't know. Certainly, I think with the larger number of people, you're not as accountable to each other. When there's the same 30 or 40 people showing up, you know, week in and week out, party after party, it creates a certain amount of accountability. You know, they are not going to put up with a lot of excuses. Um, they're not going to put up with a lot of shenanigans. If something goes wrong, everybody knows about it. Everybody saw it. We were all there. So I think it was, it was different. The feeling was different. And, and there was a, a greater intimacy in the groups because you did know those people and you did go through those things with them time after time after time. It wasn't show up to a party and there's, you know, 150 people there. And when people get to know how each other play, they can protect against a predator. There's a lot of things that come in that tight-knit community. There are, and I'll tell you one of the things that I really struggle with um, because I do do a lot of consensual non-consent scenes. Uh, I do a lot of heavy body play scenes. And so it can appear to people who don't know me, don't know my partners, as though there is something wrong. And so I get a lot of people coming up to me after scenes. Are you okay? I literally had somebody come up to me after a scene one time. We'll take you to a shelter. You're being abused. <laughs> oh, my. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not being abused. I'm fine. You know, that was my husband at the time. We'd been married five years. I'm like, this is my husband. You know, no, no, you're being abused. Let us help you. Let us help you. And I'm, I'm trying to explain to them, you know, here's how we built the trust. Here's how we built the intimacy. Here's the conversations that we had before we did this scene. Here's how we came to agree on these things. And I, I finally, I was flying at the time. I, it was literally just after the scene. And I finally walked him to the party host and just went, no, I, I can't continue to have this conversation. I don't have the emotional bandwidth for it. But it really bothers me. The, that couple was incredibly sweet and, and very caring. It, but it bothers me a lot when people uh, want to really get aggressive on insisting that they know more about my consent than I do. At that point, I'm like, you're being really judgmental. You're trying to infantilize me. You're trying to take away my power to consent. If my partner respects my consent, you need to do the same as an observer. You can ask me questions, but I, I draw the line at, at allowing other people to judge my consent. Amen, sister. Amen. It's very important that you're saying this because people have to understand some of the the workings of a scene and when you go in with a trusted partner for one of these consensual non-consent scenes, yes, it, visually, it looks like a train wreck. But on the same token, you are getting off on that engineered scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's what I wanted and it's what I negotiated. And, um, and what you expected. And what I expected and, and what my partner wants and needs as well. So, yeah, it's... I, I understand it can look difficult. And even when there's not, you know, the protests and those kinds of things, those heavy body scenes where somebody's getting, you know, thrown around uh, can look really, really scary to people. You know, somebody gets kicked and thrown on the floor and kicked on the floor and that kind of that can look very scary. And I and I do understand that. But there is a level of, of consent happening there. Otherwise, you'd be hearing red. Yeah, and I believe that we go back to the 90s 
even further that there was a certain expectation of when you went into a party that you were going to see. And now I think that we've moved that you go to a party and it's as much of a social gathering that has has it is a BDSM. We have become so popular that I think that's 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 easier for us to fall into. Just taking the edge off it. Yeah. I've certainly seen a change, um, but I've also come to realize, in fact, in our local munch here uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about dark parties. And one of the things I've come to realize is the parties I walked into were the dark parties. I didn't walk into the normal parties. I walked into the dark parties. And so I think it sets your meter a little differently if that's how you came in. Whereas people who are coming in to the more social and maybe the lighter scenes and not those heavy, edgy scenes, that's their meter and that's where they're getting set. Well, here in Tennessee, those lighter parties were, were, were swing parties because they were basically some slap, some bake, and that was the tickle and that was it. Maybe a little bondage. Okay. And in Houston, swinging, that's that's a whole different scene. That's, you know, sex and sex-oriented and no BDSM. Yeah, a lot of swing people have a firewall up against what they call abuse. And it varies around the country to some degree. And some of them flirt with the idea of light bondage and light flogging and things like that. You'll find these little micro dungeons in some swing clubs now just for uh, entertaining the troops. Well, we yes. found them for a long time in the dungeons locally here. TSC had a had a dungeon in the 90s, a large dungeon, about 1,000 square feet, which was, but they were uh, very, very much a swing club. Yeah. I had a couple that was uh, friends of mine. I invited them to a house party. They saw me flogging one of my submissives, and they couldn't watch. They said it just wasn't right, and they had to leave. Exactly. And and those are the kinds of things I hear a lot, especially as a smaller woman. I'm five foot six. I run between 140, 150 pounds. So I'm not very big. So when a partner picks me up and throws me onto the floor, people start getting concerned really quickly. But it's good times for you. Yes, it is. <laughs> but now everything doesn't go right. Uh I've been following some of your writings, and one of them that uh, came to mind was you thought you might have had some ribs bruised, broken, splintered, or something? Cracked, Cracked. yes. In fact, I'm sitting here in a rib brace right now. But you didn't call foul on that, did you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, That was just one of those situations where literally he zigged one way and I zagged the other. And I took a hit low on the ribs and directly on my side. That was absolutely a consensual scene. It was not really all that different than scenes that we've done in the past. Uh, This person and I have played together off and on for years. So, no, it was absolutely consensual. And part of what made that consensual, in my opinion, and the reason I felt compelled to write about it on FetLife is because I knew what could go wrong. I'm well aware that I could break bones when I'm being hit by a man with his fists. I'm well aware that if bones break, you know, what the outcomes could be. Uh, If I get thrown on the floor, I could be paralyzed. I could have a head injury. I could, you know, suffer a coma. I could never walk again. 
these are all realistic possibilities of what we do. And actually, up to this point, I, I used to tell people my the worst injury I'd had to this point was I almost got my eye put out with a flogger. Uh, I was playing in high heels. That's become a new rule. I don't play in high heels anymore. I was playing in high heels, and I lost my balance, and the, the flog had already been thrown, and I was turning as I went down, and I get hit in the face, and it was right next to my eye. <laughs> oops, oops. People think about, oh, flogging, that's safe. Well, no, not necessarily. Nothing that we do is safe. But to me, in order to give consent, it has to be informed. You have to be aware of what you're signing up for and what the potential outcomes are. Hopefully, the outcome is happy and tears of joy and pain and lots of orgasms. But it could go wrong. Well, that's where the risk aware and consensual come from in risk. Exactly. But we don't hear rack used much anymore. No, we don't. Uh, and I'm not really sure why. I, I think it's really important, though, to talk about what the risks are and to understand that. And and I think some of these cases that, that I've read about on FetLife where you, you hear about somebody got injured and then they say it's a consent violation. And I'm like, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is I don't think you gave consent in the first place. I don't think you knew enough about what you were doing to understand you could get injured that way. And if you didn't, did you really give consent? Is it possible to give consent? And for myself, in my own play, in my own partnerships, I have chosen that the answer to that is no. If I don't truly understand what the possible outcomes are, I don't believe that I have given consent. But do you go ahead with the scene? What I try to do is educate myself and find out before I, I engage in doing something, I want to know what the risks are. And so I will find out what the risks are. We've got a lot of education now in our community. It's fantastic. And so you can really find out what the issues and the problems potentially can be. So you're taking personal responsibility. Yes. Yes. Before I sign up to do something, I make sure that I understand what it is. And part of that, again, it's when you talk about personal responsibility, I'm a big believer that I am every bit as responsible for the outcome of the scene as my top is. I can make it better or I can make it worse. You definitely have a have a 50-50 role in how the scene goes and how the scene ends up, I think. You know, if you don't let the top know something's going wrong and it's not obvious, they could be oblivious to it without any ill will at all. Well, and that responsibility begins far before the scene itself begins. I have the responsibility to communicate and negotiate effectively. Uh, and I believe that negotiation forms the basis of our mutual consent. This is something you don't hear a about a lot is the consent of the top, the consent of the dominant. And his consent is going to be based on that discussion, that negotiation and what I'm telling him and communicating to him. So if I don't communicate effectively, fully with transparency, then the consent I'm getting from him is not full and informed consent either. So I believe that it starts long before the scene and communicating in scene. It has to be communication during negotiation. And negotiation is a lot more than going through a checklist and of, of yes and no's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things I do in negotiations, I, I always ask my tops, 
what are your limits? What are your boundaries? Because I can absolutely violate your limits as a top. No problems. This is so essential to hear somebody say that because everybody looks at it one way, top to the bottom. Now, there is personal responsibility that works both directions. Yes, there is. There is. But, you know, I also ask my tops things like, um, what about your medical conditions? What do you need from me as part of aftercare? Tops need aftercare, too. So what do you need from me? Do you need me to check in? Do you need to know my status? When do you want to know? Do you need to, to cuddle with me so to assure yourself that I'm okay? This goes both directions. Well, there has been a move to deify the, the tops has into superhumans. And I don't believe we're superhuman. We have not yet. Not yet. We have moments like the bottoms have moments when we are rise to superhuman status, but that's not where we live. No, no, it's not. And as I said, I, I really believe a lot in that both parties to a scene have a responsibility that we need to fulfill and we need to undertake it with the same care as the actual scene itself. May I recommend something? Mm-hmm. Write a book. Write a book? Yeah. Yes. You have you have wisdom that many need to hear. It is rather hard one. And I know I shared with you before we got onto the air, and I would like to share a story, if that's okay, if we have time. Absolutely. Yes. Bring it. Okay. Part of the reason for all of this and the amount of time and effort that I put into it is years ago, I did have a scene go horribly wrong. So I went into a scene with somebody that I played with on a fairly regular basis, heavy play, consensual non-consent play. So people were used to seeing us doing that. And that particular evening, I had been in a car accident, so I couldn't do any heavy play. I'd had uh, some damage to my sternum, and I couldn't do heavy play. But we were supposed to go to the party, and I, I explained to the top, I can't do this. And the top said, well, why don't we do bondage? And I said, great, let's do that. I've never done that. Awesome. Tied to a spanking bench, and the top started hitting me on my legs. And I said, wait, 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 I can't do that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hurt. And the top continued. Oops. Yes. And I said, no, 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 no. I really can't do that. That's It's vibrating up in my chest. I can't do that. And the top continued. And I actually called Red and the top continued. And then I'm yelling Red and then I'm screaming Red and the top continued. And the scene finally ended when I was in so much pain that I threw up. Now, that's horrible enough as it is. The 30 people standing there watching did nothing. That's the huge tragedy, is that the safe word red is a universal. Mm-hmm. And they had a obligation as community members to protect their own community to step in there. Well, there's a lot of interesting things going on in that. First, that top and I really did no negotiating before the scene. There was had never been a safe word established. We had never talked about limits. The little bit of negotiating that we did... I said, I can't do the regular stuff that we do. I never said no impact of any kind. On the upfront side, there was an enormous failure of communication. Then when I said no twice in a row, obviously, again, a failure of communication happening where either the top wasn't listening 
Or what I really believe happened is the top thought, well, I'm hitting you down on your legs and that's not where you told me you were injured. So I wasn't specific in saying, hey, you know, this is this is all connected. And this was veering in his mind possibly into consensual non-consent. Because that was what we had a history of doing. Absolutely. With the only exception being the word red. And red is universal. Exactly. You don't have to negotiate a safe word. Red stops all scenes. Exactly. But as I said, again, in this, this ongoing relationship, and I think that's the reason that nobody in the audience stepped in. They were used to seeing us doing these kinds of things. Now, should they? Absolutely. Did they? No. But here's the thing. So I walk out of that. Obviously, a huge breach of trust. Um, It took a long time for me to get over it. It took 15 years before I was willing to do bondage again. I learned. I get it. Bondage is edgy. If you are in inescapable bondage, your red call is only as good as the ethics or attention of the top. Period. And people are using bondage and saying it's a gateway. Oh, it's it's light and fluffy? No. No. Bondage has a whole set of risks exactly. to itself. Besides putting you at a vulnerable position, it just has a huge amount of risk as far as the stresses on the body. In a few weeks, we're going to have a nurse talk about bondage limits and things like that to cover the medical aspects of what can happen to you when you're in bondage. It's outstanding. I'm, I'm glad that you're to hear that you're doing that. Anyway, no, so coming out of that, things that happened, I had never, I was still relatively new myself. And you know, when you play new people and they go, oh, well, I'm really not good at negotiating. That was me. I became an expert at negotiating after that. Uh, I honed a negotiation list, which includes, and, and again, I don't check mark and do activities, those kinds of things. What I do is set out limits. I talk about things that will bring emotional responses, extreme emotional responses. I talk about DS, power exchange. But then I also talk about, I give the top a a set of what I call permissions. These are things like sex where we seem as a society to think that there should be extra permission for these things. Like everybody knows you should ask extra permission for that. I went down through and I looked at the things that I decided you should have extra permission for that. And then those are the things I talk about when I negotiate. I talk about sex. I talk about permanent marks. I talk about pictures. I talk about all of those types of things that that you would think, oh, you need extra permission. Those are the things I talk about with my tops. I find that an interesting approach that bears some further research, the the notion of a base level of permission and then a second level of permission for certain activities. And when you look at consent violation stories, when we hear consent violation stories, they're not usually like my story. It's not usually a red call was out there and overlooked due to a scene activity or what we would call a a normal sort of scene activity. It's normally around things that we think about as a society and say that takes extra permission. Uh, The one we hear about it the most is sex, um, but we also hear about things like, well, you didn't tell me your friend was going to be part of the scene. I didn't know about that, or I didn't agree for you to, you know, order me around. So those are the things that I negotiate. 
Those are the things I start with. I create a boundary around the play. Anything that falls inside the permissions, you can do. Anything that falls outside the permissions is off limits. And at that point now, we have incredible freedom to create a scene without having to stop and renegotiate in the middle of the scene. So flogging, flogging falls inside, but if flogging's not working today, the top can stop and go to something else without this renegotiation. So within your, your system, you don't have to have this constant reaffirmation of the consent that can exactly. be so disruptive to the flow of the scene. You have created a system that allows a blanket consent with with certain parameters. That, that blanket has corners. They formulated a concept yep. of consent. Absolutely. And it gives the top a real creative freedom inside those boundaries. So, for instance, one of my, uh, one of my permissions is don't do anything that's going to change my body for more than 10 days on purpose. Okay. That's pretty generous, by the way. Well, I scar and bruise really, really easily. <laughs> so that just said, don't cut me. Don't break my skin. Um, so we just set out a whole, but don't cut my hair. Damn it. I like the head shaving. <laughs> I just ruled out a whole bunch of activities. Yeah. But a top can go, okay, I'm going to start out with flogging. I'm going to switch to doing some spanking. I'm going to do some punching and I'm going to end up with the scene doing some fire cupping. Mm-hmm. The top can be as creative as they want and move the scene in the way they want. Instead of saying, this is going to be a flogging scene and that's all and now we get in the middle of it and it's not working. Now what do we do? I think once you establish a certain level of trust with the top, then things can relax a little bit. You know, when you're first meeting somebody, you know, you don't want to give blanket too much. Exactly. And I always I always reinforce here in my safe words. One of the things that I put in mine is I won't do anything that is beyond my personal ethics. Period. That's fair. And that is a huge area that I hold on to. So if a top says to me, do X, Y, Z, I reserve the right to say, I am not doing that. It is beyond my personal ethics to do that. Alice, I will restate this. You have to write a book. <laughs> well, thank you. Practical negotiations for the, for the real dungeon. I think when we invite her back to do the next cast, we're going to go at this even in more depth. I think so. But tonight, unfortunately, we're going to wear our listeners out. So we may need to wrap it up for now. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I had a good time. It was a real pleasure. And what you say is so valuable. And I hope all our listeners take it to heart because you're still allowing a lot of fun, but keeping it within the boundaries that we need to continue our life. Agreed. And that's what I've tried to do is create, in a way, livable consent. Yep. All right. Alice, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, gentlemen. You have been listening to episode 185 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when Malicious Moon visits the studio to talk about Dom Myths.